0: Hey there, you're listening to Ghost Notes, the podcast where we talk about music inside
1: and out. My name is Noah, but you probably know me better as Polyphonic. And I'm Corey, and you probably know me as 12-tone. And today we're gonna be talking about music as a sport. And so I think just, this was your idea, but like exploring that sort of as an analogy was what I was getting.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think just exploring. I mean, I think what kind of got me going on it was just the question is music a sport, which I'm pretty sure the yeah. answer is no, but I think it's closer right. than,
1: you know, it might seem at first blush, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where, like, the point of the question isn't the answer. Yes, exactly. The point of the question is showing your work. Yes. And, like, I think I, I agree with it. If, if we just want a one-word answer, I would say no. Yeah. But, you know, there are... I think it's interesting as an analogy, as a metaphor. There are, like, connections to draw on.
0: yeah. Well, and I think the sort of the first place I wanted to start with this and kind of the easiest, I think, to make the argument for is just the physicality of music, which I think is something that is often an underrated aspect. Like, people don't often appreciate that it is a a very, very sort of physically demanding thing to do, to play music, especially certain kinds of music at a high level. And when I say certain kinds of music, there's obviously, like, you know, very technical jazz or metal or stuff like that. But it's also incredibly demanding to be in a punk band, you know, yeah. because part of what punk music is, is the energy, the dancing, the shouting, all of that. And that's
1: also very physically demanding. Yeah. I mean, you know, to draw sports analogies, like it's maybe the difference between being a runner and being a fencer, where like, yes. There's a lot of technical precision that goes into being a fencer, but it's not as exhausting as trying to run a marathon. Yeah. And like I recently I went to a concert as the lead singer was running around the stage for literally two full hours. While singing, too, which is. Well singing, well yeah. singing, well maintaining like the breath control to hit pitches
0: if I have a conversation with someone while I'm walking up the stairs, I lose breath. So I don't yeah. know how people do that, running around,
1: yeah. head no, By the end of a Ghost Notes episode, I am exhausted. But... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we are the peak of human physical yeah. perfection, though. So yeah. I am currently running, though. <laughs> Just you can't hear the treadmill in the background.
0: But yeah, I think both in terms of an endurance and in terms of a sort of. Physical precision. There's a lot of stuff there that's really, really comparable. I mean, I think a lot of the physical precision in music, and maybe this is somewhere where there is a change when you're talking about a lot of instrument playing, is it's very sort of like precise. Yeah. If you've done any sort of classical training at all, the first thing that they will teach you or one of the first things that they'll teach you is that your entire body is going into playing the instrument. Posture is such an incredible thing, whether that means, you know, if you're playing a brass or a woodwind instrument, you want a proper posture to be able to expel air and breathe best. You know, if you're playing a string instrument, you want to be able to stand in a way that, you know, makes it physically easier to play your instrument. So there is a it is yeah. a whole body thing, but generally the really sort of nitty-gritty is often kind of like your fingers or your mouth or yeah. you know those sorts of things that require a little more p- precision.
1: Yeah, I mean especially as a vocalist, this is a huge part of what you're doing. Like like you say, you learn very early on, even like I don't have a classical background, but even with a rock background, at least yeah. for vocalists, they're very specific that your body is your instrument. And like you think about, you know, what you eat. You think about yeah. how you exercise. You try and, you know, maintain a physical. Um, physical fitness. Yes. Yeah. God, that's a very easy word to find. That was the one I was looking for. Yeah. You maintain a physical fitness, but that, that makes it so that you can, you know, sing well, and you can hit the notes that you want to hit with the right physical support for what you're trying to do in a way that, you know, you can't do if you're not thinking about those sorts of things.
0: And when you look at what, you know, a professional singer who's training will do, Every day before their show, it's it's not like the exact same, but it's really not dissimilar to a yeah. lot of, you know, professional athletes sort of it's a morning up. routines. Yeah. Well, and yeah. even even leading up to the sort of the warm up before the show, there will also be, you know, the diet there will be for any singer. There will be often uh, like prescribed periods of rest time and them not using their voice.
1: Yeah. Sleep yeah. is so important. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, also, you don't go to loud parties before yeah. shows. You have to be really careful about all a lot of this stuff in the same way that, you know, you do. And, you know, there's an extent to which all of that is true for whatever you're doing. Like, loudness yeah. isn't necessarily a thing. But, you know, if you are a physicist and you're about to solve string theory tomorrow, you don't go yeah. out and get drunk. Like, yeah. that's, that's also true. But, like, as a vocalist especially, but if you go to a party where you have to talk too loud...
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) There's a certain sort of regimentation in a lot of elite athletes kind of game day routines where obviously there's stuff when you sort of get to the arena or get to the field or whatever, but there's also a whole sort of often they're very regimented in you know their breakfast. They'll often have a nap at this time, like all of this stuff for peak performance. And that is just like the exact same as what a whole lot of professional vocalists especially one of the big things too that and maybe this is a place where it's a little different but one of the big things that you'll notice with like professional vocalists is a lot of what it grants it does grant performance capability but also one of the big things is it grants longevity and stamina yeah because touring is absolutely grueling
1: yeah it's it's less about being the best in any particular thing where you know like if you're training for, if you're like a professional rock climber yeah, like competing at that level, like you really want to be performing at your best at the couple like high level competitions that happen per year. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of you know, vocalist training and musician training in general, like we're focusing on vocalists because I think that's kind of the easiest analogy because their instrument is literally their body. Yeah. But the same thing is true for guitarists. The same thing is absolutely true for drummers. Like all oh, of yeah. this is true really what you're going for is consistency yeah like and that's you know that's true for a lot of athletes too right that that's true for like you know professional baseball players you yeah know, you play like I don't remember the exact number but something something like 100 a hundred to stupid two number of games well, I think it's close to two hundred yeah. games per season in
0: like the major leagues I think it's like a hundred twenty or something but either way it's
1: ridiculous anyway over a hundred games a year and in in those you know you get a handful of at-bats each time, and and you have to make those count as much as you can. And you have to be really consistent about your output there. Like being able to hit one home run really, really, really well does not make you a great batter. And in the same sort of way, I think it's more of that sort of sport with like musicians.
0: I think it's especially true of, I think, you know, there's kind of a sort of career arc that just tends to go with, you know, human physicality that is very similar to where often when musicians first hit the scene, they really won't have these routines yeah. and stuff like that. And then, you know, they'll do a tour where they're partying too hard or something and completely blow out their voice. And they'll learn real quickly ab- about how you need to how you need to do these yeah. things. And to the same degree, like in the same way that elite athletes are often injuring themselves there's a lot of injuries i mean i know just this year i had tickets to see doja cat and she couldn't end up touring because she ended up needing like vocal surgery uh which was a very you know it's it's a pretty invasive surgery and in the same way as a lot of athletes and it's a really
1: risky surgery too like this is you know one of the things they've really stressed to us in college and like my vocal tech teachers and stuff was like, if you get vocal nodes and you have to get them removed, we have a surgery for that, but there is no guarantee that your voice will still work the way it did after. Like, it is so much safer to just never get vocal nodes. And so do what you can to try to avoid that instead of, you know, taking risks and being like, oh, we'll just solve it sometime down the road with surgery. Yeah. Like, you know, no surgery is safe, but like the vocal cords are very very delicate and it is very easy for tiny little mistakes and tiny little nicks and whatever to completely change how your voice works yeah so and similarly like you know with a lot of like athlete surgery stuff too where that's a similar sort of thing where you know if you need to get your elbow operated on you'll probably have a working elbow at the end of it but like are you going to have a major league baseball pitcher's elbow yeah like Well,
0: kind of to move on from the sort of physicality a little bit, I think that's something where, you know, when you when you look at the day to day and when you look at the comparison, the physicality might be one of the first ones you jump out. But something that's something that's interesting to me, too, is not a lot of people think of athletes this way, but athletes are huge technicians and gearheads, yeah. you know like they're so yeah. meticulous i watch uh i watch a lot of hockey and like hockey players are about their sticks like guitarists are about their guitars you know they have even yeah. down to like they have certain sticks they'll swap out for a different moment in the game where something is you know different and yeah. at the same the same way that you know guitar techs and really instrumentalists any instrumentalists have teams of Hex and roadies and stuff like that to make it happen you know there's a whole equipment staff behind any major league sporting team whose job it is to do all of that stuff and again their day to day job looks very similar to that of a roadie it's just sort of a yeah
1: you know different specialization i mean i think probably the the best analogy there is golf because like yes yeah you know so much of golf strategy like and i say this as someone who doesn't watch golf who doesn't really like or understand the appeal of golf either from a playing or a watching perspective yeah if i'm being 100 honest apologies to golfers but like to my understanding a lot of it is which club do you use yeah and do you use like the nine iron or the seven iron i don't know what the difference between those is i'm not entirely sure they are both real golf clubs
0: no, but I've seen people talk about them in
1: pop culture, so... Like, I know I know 9-iron. I have heard 9-iron enough times. I assume there's a 7-iron as well. Golfers, if I'm wrong, let me live with this fantasy. Let me have this. You only use the 12-tone cereal iron.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the sort of expertise that that requires uh, with maintenance yeah. of equipment, knowing your equipment... And then also to the other side like you look at you look at NBA players who are you know known for the shoes they wear right those become yeah. iconic you know like yeah Michael Jordan's shoes you know Air Jordans are iconic in very much the same way as you know Slash's Les Paul or something like that
1: yeah. right Yeah yeah and you you have like in that case you have like signature things that people will release and sell yes. after yeah. like particularly famous athletes or musicians who have a recognizable version of the thing they will you know does slash have like a custom les paul for sale I know he plays one I I just I'm sure he has a line I'm, but like those sorts of things happen all the time I know that
0: or one one that I know for sure like like I know there's a Gibson Lucille, right? Like there's a Gibson yeah. BBC Lucille you can, or BB King Lucille you can buy. Yeah. Not, not, not yeah. the British Broadcasting Corporation.
1: <laughs> yeah, they they don't play as much guitar. Uh, yeah, yeah, certainly not as well as BB King. No, I I would listen to BB King play the guitar over the entirety of the BBC
0: <laughs> together. I think a lot of these things are really interesting and fun because it's it's sort of just yeah. a, again. Not to say that music and sports are the same, but it's there are two things no. where you don't see people drawing enough parallels in my mind, because I think that they're both yeah. very similar in the way they operate, both both as sort of individual professionals, yeah. but also as the sort of how the wider industry as a whole sort of yeah. operates is very similar as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is sort of a side note, but like one thing... I remember from a conference that I went to at one point, it was a paper that a guy gave about a thing he does in his like music classes where he'll do basically this, where he'll pick a thing and be like, let's draw a bunch of analogies between this and music. Yeah. Like, you know, if we do like music and cartography, what is yeah. a musical map? What is a musical compass? Like and, and That's really cool. How do we do these things in ways that line up? And I think, you know, sports and music really complement each other in a lot of ways. Partly, yeah. they're both sort of entertainment things. But, like, there's just, there's a lot to be said there. But, yeah, no, I think one thing that I, I think is interesting that I want to highlight here is that, like, so far we've sort of been talking about what you might call, like, pure sports or hard sports or whatever. Yeah. Like, sports that are, have an objectively measurable win state. Yeah. But... There are also a lot of things that we broadly consider sports that are also artistic performances. Like figure skating, gymnastics. Um, I'm going to say dressage just to show that I know what dressage is. (laughs) But like...
0: Well, well, like my niece was a competitive dancer for a long time. And I mean, that one is kind of as close as it
1: gets. Like, you know, combination between music and sport. Or cheerleading as well, like similarly... Like you have you have all of these things that are unambiguously in that sports category, but are also still very much, like I said, performances. Yeah, and so there you see even more overlap in terms of like how a figure skater thinks about their routine is probably pretty similar to how a professional musician thinks about their set. Yeah, except I I, I know that with with figure skating, like one of the things they do to try uh, with with a lot of these, one of the things they do to try and standardize and get fair judging is to just assign like point values to specific things based on difficulty. And so like you want to do this specific set of things because it will get you more points. And then you work that into a routine like, you know, jumping and spinning is probably worth a lot of points in figure skating because I don't know how to do it. Well, and the other thing, too, that's interesting, though, because figure skating is there's
0: sort of a more technical figure skating. But then there's ice dance, which is a lot more of like there is still a technical aspect to the judging, but it's a lot more subjective and a lot more about like how you can tell an emotional story with your athletics, Uh, which, yeah, Yeah. it's it's absolutely uh, ice dance, especially is absolutely kind of yeah. ice dance
1: is a great example. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what I was thinking when I said figure skating and then forgot that there is actually a different name for that specific thing. Canadians learn these
0: things at birth. Um. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, and I think that that kind of verges on one of the this is sort of the thing that spurned me on thinking about music as sport most is just thinking about the sort of the concept of competitive music and where that yeah. exists because it is there's a huge rich culture uh there's several huge rich cultures of you know yeah. competitive musics and when you look at those like a lot of those look incredibly close to something like uh ice dance like you know when you when you look yeah. at a battle of the bands and yeah how that operates where there is a clear sort of technical element to how people are judged on this stuff. And especially in there's a rich tradition in jazz of what's called cutting contests, uh, which are essentially um, just like, like instrumental instrument battles, but cutting contests are exactly like ice dance, like sort of this, this combination of doing technical things that, you know, other people can't do Or hopefully like trying to do technical things that other people won't be able to do and that show up other people, but combining it with doing stuff that kind of taps into the more metaphysical realm of music where it's like, you know, there's no objective measure for how moved was a crowd by this, you know, applause is a pretty good stand in for that and applause in a lot of especially amateur things like rap battles and cutting contests and amateur battle of the bands that's that's often sort of how it's uh judged yeah
1: yeah i mean on that just to throw this out there soundfield has an incredible video about battle raps like professional battle rap uh oh yeah yeah highly recommend that i don't remember what the video is called off the top of my head but if you look up soundfield battle rap i'm sure you'll find it but yeah no i think that Complicated is the wrong word, but like this is a little tricky for me, just because this is a scene I am so unconnected from. Yeah, I'm don't really have never really like been to or participated in a battle of bands. Yeah, except that I went to music school. (laughs) Like there is a significant extent to which that aspect, like you know, it's it's like there's a camaraderie to the competitiveness. Yeah, like it's more like it's sort of more like a local football club than it is like, major league soccer or anything. But, like... Could you say it's kind of like a college football club? I could if I wanted to. (laughs) There's an extent to which that environment... You know, you are competing. And, like, there's you you do these things... I think I've talked about before. Like, you know, me and my friends would sit around and do, like, range contests where we would do an exercise and bring it higher and higher and higher and see who dropped out first. Yeah. And, like... You know, there were things where you would try out for something like that happened. And without being a formalized competition with like rules and scores, it was still a very competitive environment, even, am- and, and you know, with friends, like, but still competition.
0: Yeah, well, and that that's a lot like you, you know, like another thing you'll you'll often see jazz musicians, you know, doing the yeah. Coltrane changes as fast as they can, or yeah. something like that, right? Like these these sorts yeah. of little rites of competitive passage are woven yeah. all through. And I mean, I think it's interesting because when you look at a lot of music, predominantly kind of innovated by Black musicians, uh, for whatever reason, there is. A lot more of that competitive culture like like battle raps are serious business like that's a yeah that's kind of how the genre was invented the, the idea yeah. of the battle rap is so closely tied to hip-hop in general like to the degree that one of the one of the most monumental kind of moments in hip hop history is a battle rap between Grandmaster Flash and his Furious 5 and I forget what the other team was but it was like this this kind of huge cultural moment in Harlem that was a really key moment in just the history of hip hop and so yeah. much of hip hop came up through this sort of competitive field a lot like a lot of early jazz did too there's a lot yeah. of parallels there and I think it's you know if there's any music that I, you know, I would say could be considered a sport, you know, like battle rap
1: yeah. is, is right there, you know, like it's. Yeah. Battle rap is near the top of the list, if not at it.
0: Yeah. It's something that I could see. I mean, it would never happen, but imagine like that at the Olympics, what would that look like? Yeah. I, I I mean, I think the entire aesthetic and formalization of the Olympics is pretty antithetical to the ethos of hip hop but
1: yeah i mean i think one thing that sort of in in the spirit of friendly competition like you know the sort of like pickup basketball game where you don't keep score type yeah still very much sports yeah with a little more sort of friendliness to it
0: i think like street ball is actually a really good comparison because you know rappers will Often, often use like basketball metaphors, right? Like basketball yeah. and hip hop are so closely tied. So, like battle raps has yeah. street ball feels. You know, that's something that a lot of like rappers literally call themselves ballers and stuff like that, right? And yeah. I, I assume that's the
1: etymological origin of that. I'm not sure, but I suspect so. I would have to look that up. So, sort of another area that that pops up though, and this is probably predominantly in jazz, but you see it in rock. You see it in like all sorts of genres, is like trading solos.
0: Yes, yeah, trading eights, trading six, yeah.
1: Where like you and your friend, again, it's sort of, again, not keeping score, but you know, yeah, in, in like a jazz song where you're like trading eights for a little bit and you're just going back and forth. And there's there's an inherent sort of one-upsmanship to that. Yes, Where yeah. like you listen to what the other person did and it's like, oh, we'll check this out. And they're like, oh, we'll look at this. And, yeah, you know, there's no winner but you're still competing yeah
0: well and and i think that that's something i think that's something you see especially with like trading solos and stuff you see that a lot in metal when there's bands with multiple guitarists especially you know you've got two people on the same instrument ostensibly doing like iron maiden's whole career is built on just incredible guitarists trading solos and trying to one up each other. And yeah.
1: so much of yeah.
0: thrash, you know, Megadeth has some really, really incredible ones, too.
1: Yeah. And like I guess I think I think of it most naturally into sort of the jazz trading eight cents. But yeah, metal is a huge place where you see that as well, especially in like lacking a better name for it off of the top of my head. Steve Vai style metal. Yes. The G3 <laughs> yeah. crowd and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, that that whole uh, Joe Satriani type deals as well. The whole point is you have a couple extremely talented guitarists who can just play the heck out of their instrument. Again, there's a camaraderie. Yeah. There's sort of like, let's let's build something incredible together. But there's also definitely a bit that's like, check check me out. I'm, yeah. I'm better than Joe Satriani. Look at this thing that I can do that I, I thought of that he didn't there's ego there and you know in in a way
0: that can be fun but yeah yeah. there is also like a lot more formalized musical competition like when i was in high school in my hometown there's a huge huge music competition called like capital city music fest and it kind of brings in like like small jazz ensembles, big jazz ensembles and orchestral groups from across the country. And, you know, there's a panel of judge where judges, where you are just a panel of judge, one judge. There's a panel of judge where it is very competitive and they'll give you, you know, they'll give you rank awards. And if you do well, you'll move on to higher levels of this stuff. And, you know, this stuff happens internationally and it's very
1: much like being part of a team, you know, part of a team sport, there's a solid analogy to be drawn between like Eurovision and what is that the European Cup? The one that, what is that called? The the soccer one. There's a bunch, but I think the Euros is one. There's the Champions League. Yeah. I mean, FIFA is the World Cup. Yeah. I think I was thinking the Champions League, but like, yeah, the World Cup uh, has people from all over the world. But I think I was thinking the Champions League. But yeah, it's sort of, there's a significant analogy to be drawn there. Like each country has whatever selection process they have to determine who is the best person to send to Eurovision to maximize their chances of winning Eurovision. And then they send that person, and then there's... And, you know, it's done by voting. It's done, again, to go back to, like, ice dancing or whatever as an analogy, it's done by selection because there are no objective measurements like there are in, say, soccer. But there's still it's very much treated as a competition. And there's also like, and this is, this is one thing that I think is potentially a very interesting analogy to be drawn with sport is local bias and interlocal rivalries. Like, you know, I grew up in Boston. Unfortunate. And one of the things we learned in Boston, ah, well, uh, one of the things we learned in Boston is that you hate the Yankees. Like it's just, you, you just do and, like, to the best of my understanding, growing up, like, this was not a thing that New Yorkers really learned in reverse. Like, there, there was some rivalry there, but Boston hates yeah. New York way more than New York hates Boston. Uh, but, like, you, to this day, you can't go to a Red Sox game, like a, a home game at least, against any yep. team and not expect to hear a yankees <laughs> suck chant regardless of if the yeah. yankees are even in the state like <laughs> that sort of thing is such an important part of boston culture and you know to an extent like the patriots as well i never really cared that much about the patriots and a lot of my social group didn't either uh but like you know there's definitely plenty of yeah. patriots loyalty in new england but like you, similarly like you have eurovision where you know, to an extent, if you're in, say, Sweden, you yeah. you want the Swedish team to win. Even if maybe you like someone else's song a little bit better, uh, you're biased towards them. And similarly, like, you know, in music, probably the most famous example is like the East Coast-West Coast, West Coast hip hop rivalry.
0: Yeah, that's what I where, was thinking.
1: Yeah. Like, in a lot of ways, there are stylistic differences between those two genres of hip hop.
0: yeah. There's also stylistic differences between different sports teams. You know, sports teams have identities yeah. uh, that are often, you, you know, like like in hockey, there's a lot of teams that have identities as sort of a kind of rougher beat-em-up team. And yeah. then there's a lot of teams that have identities as a sort of smoother, more finesse game. You know, like that's yeah. the, the identities. I think the musical identities
1: are, you know, easier to to hear and to pick out and sort of like if i play you yeah. a classic east coast hip hop song and a classic west coast hip hop song you can tell me the difference if i show you the roster of the oakland a's versus the toronto blue jays yeah it's a little harder to pick yeah. out from the thing what they're doing differently
0: and there's a lot more sort of especially these days you know there's a lot more players going yeah. from one team to another and i i think in general a lot of players have less sort of city allegiances in the sort of professionalized um y- y- you know world as is but again yeah the parallels yeah there. that's
1: actually that's something i want to grab onto because i hadn't thought about it but i think is an interesting point which is sort of again players moving between teams players not really being associated with a specific like i think for a long time yeah. with, like, the Red Sox, Mookie Betts was, like, one of the big names. Like, if you followed the Red Sox, you cared yeah. about Mookie Betts. And then he just moved to a different team. I think he's on the Dodgers now. So yeah. it's sort of... Most bands, that's not super the case. Like, you know, people you do really associate, say, like, Tom DeLonge with Blink-182, right? Like, that's... Yeah, yeah.
0: Unless you're a really
1: big Angels and Airways yeah. fan. But, like... There are also, especially older bands, older rock bands at this point, that wasn't necessarily the case. Like Black Sabbath, for instance. There is one person who has been in every iteration of Black Sabbath, and that's Tony Iommi. But like, you know, they've had like half, uh, probably more than half a dozen different singers at this point. Like certainly multiple hugely important ones.
0: Like Fleetwood Mac, like, yeah, the one sort of like, through line of Fleetwood Mac is Mick Fleetwood, you know, who obviously it's named for, but like, it's
1: also named for John McVie. but
0: yeah, nobody listens to Fleetwood Mac for the rhythm section, you know, like, like you listen for depending on era, like Peter Green or obviously Buckingham Knicks. Like there's no offense. I mean, I love, I love their rhythm section. No disrespect at all to Mick Fleetwood or John McVie. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no no disrespect to Mick Fleetwood. He is not the famous name from Fleetwood Mac except for the name. I mean, I, I did a video recently about Deep Purple and they like oh yeah, within their branding have specific like the Mark 1 band, the Mark II band, yeah, uh, and so on. And I think they went up to like 8, but that's really interesting. The I I
0: never kind of put that in my head, the idea of thinking of those kinds of bands as like a sports yeah. team. That's really interesting. Like I, again, it it's not like a one-to-one analogy, but it's just such fun food for thought cuz
1: Yeah, if you think of like Tony Iommi as like the owner of Black Sabbath, which in a meaningful way he is, and, you know, drafting players into his band. Like Jethro Tull, like by a, like hugely is Ian Anderson and friends. And like, again, I've said this before. Yeah. Martin Barr deserves to also be considered a central part of Jethro Tull. But like, so much of Jethro Tull has been a huge series like a rotating cast of people behind Ian Anderson and to an extent Martin Barr. Then it just just who was whoever made sense at the time.
0: What's really interesting is when you look at the sort of sports team comparisons, jazz orchestras look a yeah. lot like that, you know, where you've got the band leader who is sort of the owner slash coach. your yeah. Count Basie or whoever, yeah. You know, you've got Benny Goodman, you've got Duke Ellington, you've got, yeah, yeah, you know, any of those. And then you've got the sort of rotating cast of team yeah. that kind of goes around and comes and goes. And it's even like, there's even comparisons to like a team acquiring a superstar like it was it was a big deal when uh lewis armstrong moved to new york for a while to play with the fletcher henderson orchestra because lewis armstrong uh is lewis y- you armstrong. know was yeah. king oliver's yeah but yeah but he was, he was king oliver's like all-star yeah. you know he was he was that guy and then um you know he went with fletcher henderson and then he started the hot hot fives yeah. and you know
1: the rest is all history, but it's sort of like taking my talent to Miami type story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was such an interesting, it it, it is, it is a moment that it's interesting when you frame that in the context of a sports team. It's a, it's a neat little analogy.
1: Well, like, again, as with all of this, it's not one-to-one, but like, yeah, but you know, you do have like, you know, auditions as like tryouts and ways to sort of, and there's also, you know, this is maybe a stretch. I'm going to throw it out there anyway, but like a thing that gets talked about a lot in sports like circles is team cohesion and, you know, chemistry, chemistry, like, you know, especially like this was, this is a big thing in like baseball between like pitchers and catchers is like, you can have the best catcher in the world and the best pitcher in the world, but they got to work well together. Like, otherwise, what are you doing? And like the musical version of that is the the rhythm rhythm section. section. Like you really, if your bassist, isn't listening to your drummer, they can both be incredible musicians, but your band sucks.
0: Yeah, another one of these bands that you could almost look at as sort of like a franchise like this is the the Red Hot Chili Peppers, because yeah. uh, they've had such a diversity of people. But when they first when they first got Chad Smith, they went through so many talented drummers yeah. before they fla- found Chad Smith because they just couldn't find anybody who could jam well with Flea because he is such a sort of distinct yeah.
1: bassist. Yeah, no, and like getting getting the right lineup of players that complement each other's strengths as well in terms of like getting along as people and like thinking well but also in terms yeah. of the skill set like you're saying like it wasn't necessarily that you know Chad Smith was a better friend to Flea than other drummers might have been yeah it was that he had an approach to drums and a skill set on the drums that made what he was doing work with what Flea was doing and, you know, like you, like we were saying earlier, teams do have their own styles in ways that are often undercredited because they are trying to do the same goal. Like every baseball team is trying yeah. to score more runs than they allow. But like football yeah. is maybe a better analogy just because there's so many positions in football. But like you'll talk about teams having like a great offense and being a more offensive team and yeah. like to compensate for not having as strong a defense or like really investing in defense and not having as strong an offense or whatever special teams do n- no one tell me what special teams do i don't care <laughs> field goal punt d- return i don't care no off. it's really important to me that you know i don't care i just i just defied you
0: <laughs> i think uh, like a football team as an analogy for an orchestra yeah. is like really apt because it is unlike you know you look at like a soccer team O- or as you Brits would call it a football yeah. team, but it's, yeah, it's soccer. Brits, yeah. You, We're in sh- North sure America here. Brits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That the, you was the, 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 Brits in the audience. And by that, I mean, by the Brits in the audience, I mean, everyone in the audience who is not yeah. from Canada or the States yeah. or Australia. Cool. Cause there's Australian football, right? Is that not just rugby? No, no. Aussie rules. Football is its own thing. Yeah, you're right. You're right.
1: Apologies to rugby.
0: If you compare soccer yeah. or hockey or basketball, there's different positional specialties, but m- the way most people are playing the game is pretty much the yeah. same, right? You know, like like in hockey, you can have a defenseman go up and play w- winger and he can do it. He, you know, he has the skill set of skating, passing, seeing the things. It's just the specializations he won't be as good at. But you know, you cannot have a linebacker play
1: wide receiver you know like it's just a a physically i mean you could yeah you know i mean it's yeah one of of my favorite things in baseball is which i don't watch too much baseball but like when games go super long and so they just start letting like position players pitch yeah it's just like we we have run out of bullpen you're a third baseman you can do this yeah in a very similar way you know you know
0: there's 50 people on a football team divided into maybe 12 to 15 different specializations you know like like the kicker is practically doing a different sport than everyone else in football he's on the special team (laughs) yeah yeah exactly educational podcast (laughs) in an orchestra you know there's there's all of this diversity with all these different roles but another thing too is you have you know your first chair right for your first chair violin in a symphony orchestra is a hugely prestigious role. That is, you know, the person that will get paid more, will get more prestige, will get, you know, solos if there's songs that have solo sections. Like, it, it is it is such a sort of big thing. And yeah. that's, you know, kind of like you're, you're starting QB or something like that.
1: The orchestra is a really interesting place to look because, you know, we've been talking mostly about bands. And in bands, you have like yeah. four to six people most of the time, each yeah. of whom has a very specific job. And like, it's it's not that there is no difference in prestige, which I want to be very careful about using the word prestige instead of importance, because those are very different things here. But like...
0: I'm a bassist. I will tell you prestige does not equate to importance because the bass is the most important information, instrument. It absolutely <laughs> is, hands down.
1: <laughs> but like, yeah. No the, debate. The lead guitarist has more prestige than the rhythm guitarist yes who yeah. probably has more prestige than the bassist depends on the band you know red hot chili peppers depends I mean, on the I, band they don't yeah really have a separate rhythm yeah. guitarist but like
0: but yeah like malcolm young definitely has more prestige than whoever plays bass for AC/DC. Yeah. the fact that i can't name that is an exact sign of that prestige
1: yeah. <laughs> see i have a name in my head but i'm pretty sure it's wrong and no, I am. I, it is wrong. I'm thinking of a completely different band. Uh, never mind.
0: Cliff Williams. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. That was not the name I had in my Sorry, head. Sorry, Thank Cliff. you for looking that up. Uh, but no, like <laughs> those sorts of things, you, you, there's not as much room to have just complete, like zero prestige pres- uh, positions. Yeah. Yeah. It is clear to the audience that the song would be different without a bassist. Whereas, you know, in an orchestra, it's not clear that the performance would be different without one of the violinists. And similarly, like any given linebacker, any given play, who knows if they're making a difference? It can be hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah. But they're also, you gotta have the linebackers. (laughs) Like they're, again, this this is why I wanted to say prestige instead of importance, because like... A football team that just doesn't send out any linebackers is going to yeah. lose really hard. Well, and and, and yeah, like like I, th-
0: I think a football team to an orchestra is a really yeah. interesting comparison because there's also you know you know the kicker is kind of like you know those specialty percussionists who will come in and play like one or two percussion hits but that's like an yeah. enormous moment when that percussion hit is there like the cannon in the what is it the
1: 18 yeah 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 exactly the in the 1812 1812 that was it i was thinking 1814 but yeah, um, you're right 1812 but yeah the, the canon player for instance like yeah and i mean often like often these percussionists will have
0: general like multi-percussionist job but not i mean percussion especially like big per- percussion not every song needs timpanies, you eh, know but i strongly disagree <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a good it's a good point i think every song could be improved yeah. by timpanis limp biscuits behind blue yeah. eyes throw some timpanies into that
1: and and suddenly i'm uh, suddenly i'm a big yeah. fan and the obvious sort of like quarterback to conductor analogy is there too where like the quarterback is playing football they are on the field they are interacting with the ball in a way that makes it not a perfect analogy but like yeah a significant part of a quarterback's job is being good at throwing a ball but yeah also a very large part of it is telling everyone where to go and then deciding what they do when they get there well and in a very similar way like Probably the most important part
0: of a conductor's job is being good at keeping time, yeah. and keeping time is, l- like,
1: undisputably a musical skill, yeah. right? Keeping time, and also, like, you know, a lot of what they do, like, people think of conductors as mostly just sort of uh, beating time, which is, is a, a, yeah. a core component of their job. But, like, there's a lot of cues, there's a lot of, like yeah gestures, this is like your body language affects how the orchestra responds, like if they're if they're paying attention and you're good at it. But like there's so much that a conductor does that is very much about physically interpreting music even if they are not creating noticeable sound,
0: yeah. The other one for me that I was kind of thinking of the conductor as the QB is kind of interesting because the QB is very similar to like the coach and the play callers, right? The offensive coordinator. But the conductor is also very much like the coach, right? Where it's like, you you, you know, the conductor during the quote unquote game, which is performance, is recognizing the ebbs and flows, is managing his players, is doing everything that he can and has a level of expertise designed to bring the best out of each of these individual parts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And to like, also to course correct. Like this is a thing that, you know, yes. If if your orchestra is well rehearsed and like, they know everything and everything's like good. Hopefully nothing goes wrong, but like, if anything, if if anything does go (laughs) wrong, you need to correct it real fast and you need to be paying attention. Like you say, to the ebbs and flows, catch the mistake before it matters and correct it in a way that gets things back without the audience noticing. And, you yeah. know, in the same sort of way that, you know, as as a coach, you might be like, oh, that person, maybe they're not running as fast or whatever. Maybe I need to, like, pull them now or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what coaches do. I, I'm not, a, but, you know. To the same
0: degree, too, like a big thing, a big aspect of coaching and a big aspect of kind of conducting an orchestra and leading an orchestra is also often the behind the scenes work with the players. Yeah. Right. You know, where you need to, you need to sit down and sometimes on a technical level, but also just on a human level. Yeah. Like you need to make sure that whatever's going on in your person's life, you know, whatever sickness or injury they're dealing with, whatever's happening, make sure that they are in the position to perform to an excellent level. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's your job to know in the same way, like a lot of coaches, you you need to know which players, which a, a players you need to be hard on, which players yeah. you need to nurture things like that. And I think it's very similar with musicians because oh, yeah. shockingly people are different no, and different people need different things. That doesn't sound right. No. Oh, I I always thought
1: that I, huh.
0: Interesting. I know there's shocking to this? discover.
1: <laughs> I know there's this, um, you know, mythos of like, the hard ass conductor, right? Like Yeah,
0: whiplash. Whiplash,
1: tar, like all these. Yeah, like that's sort of the image of a conductor. And like that, those exist. The, there are definitely people who do that. My understanding, and I am not steeped in the classical conducting world, so this may be wrong, but from what I have heard from people who know better than me, that is very much a dying approach. Like you are much more seeing compassionate conductors. And I think that's also a a thing in a lot of sports where traditionally, you know, the coach yelling on the sidelines would be like, run faster, throw the ball, better, hit the thing. Like that is a famous and classic style of coaching that we think of as coaching. But like more and more teams are like bringing in like on-staff psychologists to sort of try and optimize the player's mental game instead of just browbeating them into hitting the ball better. I
0: don't know. That doesn't seem like a good idea to me. I think yeah. we, you should just verbally abuse everyone yeah. to get the most out of it. Oh, them. I thought That's... you meant
1: hitting the ball better was a bad idea. Which, <laughs> you know, bold strategy. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, uh, But yeah, like I think that in both cases, you are seeing a lot of that as well. Yeah, which I think that is less sort of... Directly an analogy between sports and music of like, wow, it's so interesting that these two things are taking this path. Yeah, and more just like that's been a major cultural shift over the, the world last is making, yeah. century or so, generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly over the last generation or two, like that. That's been a big thing. Yeah. So there's
0: one more thing that I just wanted to get into uh, a little bit about music and sport. That's a little different than everything else. Sure. Uh, But this is something that I thought. Is really interesting. I saw Caught in the Shadows, a great music creator, by the way, tweet about this a little bit, where apparently he is in a uh, pop charts, like top 40 pop charts fantasy league, right? That is basically fantasy sports for top 40 pop where, you know, they'll have a draft and every year, you know, they'll all pick a certain number of artists who make their rosters and you get points for each week that that artist has a song on the top 40 and, you know, like extra points if it hits number one or things like that. And I think that that's, that's an interesting thing where, You know, I'd never heard of such a thing and it sounds, I think I'd be horrible at it because I really don't keep up with what's going on in pop music, but it sounds just very, you know, kind of like a a delightful way to engage with music. And it's a really cool way that I think it's, I think it's sort of kind of living proof of the fun things that can happen when you do these sorts of analogies, you know, when you've got someone who's a fan of music and a fan of fantasy sports and is like, hey, how can I... Combine these yeah. things.
1: I think it speaks to like a a broader connection that the two have. The simple naive yeah. version of this is they are both forms of entertainment. But yeah. I think more specifically, in both cases, probably more so with sports than with music, but in both cases, a lot of the actual point and a lot of the actual fun that people who really love it and invest a lot of their time into it get from it isn't just the thing itself, but it's conversations about the thing. It's yeah, sort of, and the culture, the culture around, around, around the thing. it, and that that ties in, I think, to a lot of things we've been talking about. You know, the similarly like the the rivalries thing, where like, you know, part of part of the fun of being a Red Sox fan is chanting "Yankees suck," and that's you know, but. And another thing that's, like, incredibly
0: common in both of them is, like, conversations as to who is the GOAT.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: That's every sports, you know, every every bar, every sports bar has conversations of, you know, who's better, Gretzky or Lemieux, you know? Um, Uh, You and I
1: go to very different sports bars, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> look I'm Canadian I, I I, can't stress enough this episode maybe sports bars in LA do have those sorts of debates about Gretzky and Lemieux specifically <laughs> uh, I only know who one of those people is but you know, yeah
0: Gretzky played for the LA Kings I believe you so, yeah. that
1: sounds true yeah. mostly because it would be a weird thing <laughs> to lie about but <laughs> a lot of it is that there is you know similarly like you know the fantasy pop charts thing is a really interesting and explicit example of it. But I, th- I think a lot of that is that, you know, like you say, you talk about, you know, who's your favorite Iron Maiden singer? Like, yeah. Or whatever. Like we were talking about with that as well. Right? Yeah. Or who's your favorite metal guitarist, you know, like, yeah. Who's, who's the, or yeah, who's the best metal guitarist. And like a lot of, a lot of that is sort of, and again, that's sort of harder to measure. Like a lot of the baseball stuff, you will just like whip out stats. But again, like, When you're looking at the greats, when you're looking at people like two of my favorite hockey players, Gretzky and Lemieux, um, (laughs) like, (laughs) it's not like one of them is going to be better than the other at all the stats. Like, and so you still, you're having the question of like, does it matter that this person had, I'm going to use baseball stats because I don't know hockey stats, but that this person had more RBIs, but this person was a better fielder or whatever. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think another thing that's also kind of in these comparisons is very fun and very true to these things is you know you know the sort of the era comparison where yeah. you know often people will be like oh Joe Satriani is the best guitarist or stuff like something yeah. like that and it's like what he could what 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 almost any guitarist can do technically now is probably more impressive than what Hendrix could do technically at Hendrix's peak, yeah. but. There was nobody else in Hendrix's time or there were very few people in Hendrix's time who could do the kind of things that he was doing. Yeah. And so, you know, it enters a debate. And that's something like that's a very, very common thing in sports.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. Is Babe Ruth one of the greatest baseball players of all time or was he just hitting against bad pitchers? Like,
0: yes, exactly. Part of the fun of these things very much is that there's no answer.
1: The fun is that you can never know. And like in sports, it feels more like there is an answer, right? Like it, it feels like something yeah. you should say. And music, you can do that. Like I have seen like, you know, greatest singer debates cite things like range or like greatest artist yeah. things cite like uh, chart performance. Like there are stats you can Yeah, and from, gold
0: records. and but yeah. like those
1: sorts of things, I, th- I think, are more obvious in sports. But like yeah. at the end of the day, in both cases... It's vibes you're you're just picking on vibes, yeah, and like, yeah, you know it's it's what you decide is most important, and who you decide accomplishes that best, uh, there is one other analogy that I wanted to bring up, uh that sure. is maybe a bit of a bummer to end on, but I think is a very noticeable similarity between sports and music, which is how bottom heavy they are as industries, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, how the the huge discrepancy in compensation between the people at the very top of it and everyone else, like yeah. the difference between like major league baseball pay a versus like triple a baseball pay. Yeah. Uh, is huge. And well, and
0: also kind of like, like playing into that as well. That is also something ab- common with sports and yeah. uh, music, though. It's not as bad in music as it is in sports, but um, the complete undervaluing of women, especially like, that's something that, yeah, w- women's teams are paid way less,
1: uh, you know, that that sort of thing. Like, yeah, I know this was a huge thing with, like, the U.S. soccer teams because the women's team is so much yes. better than the men's team. Yes. And they do not get paid <laughs> nearly as much. Uh, despite yeah. Despite and- being most of the representation of U.S. soccer for the world. And I think I think
0: I think music is getting there. It's probably ahead of sports yeah. at addressing a lot of the systemic issues uh, within it, especially in like the classical world yeah. and jazz and yeah. stuff it, like that. It varies by but genre it's still, pretty wildly,
1: but yeah, that basis is still very much there. Yeah, that that as well. And a lot of these are reflections of culture at broader levels as well, uh, and reflections of a, a certain economic
0: system yeah. uh, that happens to. Yeah be the one that we are in who knows what that is
1: uh let's not think about it never anymore thought of it yeah (laughs) yeah i mean there's also like in that space something that is really more specific to music and sports there are more exceptions to this in music than there are in sports but for most people in either industry being at the top level is a very short career and typically a very young career like, yeah, there are your Mick Jaggers out there who are still doing it. And like, what is he like in his 70s now, 80s? Yeah, I know Bob Dylan's in his 80s. Yeah. And there are none of those in sports. So it's not a perfect analogy. But like, yeah, a lot of bands will sort of have a big breakout hit, be a cent like a major center of attention for like five years, maybe 10 if they're lucky and then just sort of fall off the map entirely and not be relevant at all anymore and sort of fall off of that, you know, that level where you are actually making significant money from your work. And part of that too
0: is when the people fall off to whatever degree, uh, they're also just completely abandoned by the industry. You know, that's a big thing uh, where they, they're both, they both, yeah, like you said, big bottom end and both really, really just, chew chew people up and put them through the ringer and i think a lot of that is also just like a, a cultural thing that both of them have by nature of them is the idea of um Oh, you know, well, you're just play you're playing music for a living. You should be happy just yeah. playing something for a living that people do for fun. You don't yeah. need you don't need to actually be paid for your labor. Yeah, you see this about you know? like,
1: baseball players. Like they're playing a children's game for millions of dollars a year. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but yeah. A the, a lot of people are making a huge amount of money off of them. That's another another similarity yeah. is the vast majority of the money that is made by successful people in both industries is not made by the people actually doing the thing. But also like in a lot of those cases, yeah, like you are for maybe five years to a decade, making a bunch of money playing a children's game. And then you have to spend the rest of your life with a a kind of physically destroyed body. Yep. And potentially depending on the sport, a damaged brain, you know, and in music, like there's less sort of that level of thing. Although at, it is not a coincidence that a lot of musicians struggle with drug addiction. Like, yeah. And that sort of is more, I think mental and emotional than it is the physical toll of it. But I mean, one of the big things too, like a lot of musicians, one
0: of the reasons, especially in the seventies, why a lot of musicians got really into Coke is it's really good for dealing with the grueling touring process. Yeah. Right. You know, like, it it is it is a drug that gives people a lot of energy and when you're doing you know you know yeah. in a, in three cities in four nights performing the same show like you need pep there's there's a lot of like a lot of the physical
1: toll you know there's a lot of other yeah.
0: stuff with the whole culture around the stuff but it is it's not a it's not a non-factor like it is absolutely a factor yeah
1: and that's you know and it's not like there are no like Michael Jackson and painkillers, like that whole thing, where that came from a pyrotechnics injury that, you know, he got addicted to painkillers because he was trying to recover from that so he could keep doing shows.
0: Kurt Cobain uh, dealt with uh, chronic, uh, like, like back pain, and because... He had scoliosis and worsened it by playing a guitar all the time yep. and by wearing a guitar, a heavy guitar around him. And th- that that was a, a physical tool that yeah. very much played into his depression because he was in chronic pain. And chronic pain is not a fun thing to be in.
1: <laughs> so I've heard that that's the main thing that I hear chronic pain sufferers say about their experiences, that it's very fun and enjoyable. Um, <laughs> I don't know Uh yeah, I think I think that's right. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but no, yeah, I think that's yeah. a lot of that yeah. is that and it's not necessarily so much that music as an industry encourages you to take on physical injuries and long- term issues yeah. in the way that sports does. But it certainly doesn't care. And like if you have any pre-existing issues, it is not the industry is not going to make any sort of space. For you to do the stuff you need to do in a healthy way, Uh, and that sucks. Yeah, but um, I don't know. We live under a certain economic system, and yeah, those are the rules.
0: I think kind of that is also one of the reasons of for the parallels. Also, though, is is that you know we live under an economic system that turns entertainment into products. Yeah. Both are forms of entertainment. So the way that they're turned into products, there's yeah. a lot of parallels there because...
1: Yeah, there are ways of converting people's, like, physical efforts into enjoyment for other people. And the way you yeah. productize that is going to be similar regardless of the specifics.
0: And to, to be clear, there's, there's, there's a lot of issues, but there's also, you know, like, like I... I have a lot of hate for the music industry, you know, and I have a lot of hate for a lot of professional sports, but also like almost all of the music that I listen to is pop music, you know, broadly speaking, like, you know, almost all of the music I listen to has been created by this music industry. So there's, it it creates value
1: as well. For the most part, like, you know, I have nothing against anyone who enjoys professional sports. I'm not into most of them. I do get a little iffy about football specifically.
0: You are clearly such a hockey fan, though. Well,
1: yeah, I do love uh, uh, my boys (laughs) Gretzky and Lemieux, but... um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, good job. Yeah, but like, you know, like I said, I I have a little bit of an issue with football specifically because it tries really hard to pretend it's not a blood sport, and it is, uh, in a way that, you know, like, if you enjoy MMA, cool. People who get into MMA and do MMA fighting... Know that they're going to get punched in the head, the head repeatedly. Like that—that's what they're signing yeah. up for. They can make that decision with informed consent. Football tries really hard to pretend that's not what it's doing, and that squicks yeah. me out. Uh, but like, and I don't yeah. put that on football fans. Like, I still don't think like you're a bad person for liking football, uh, and yeah. for knowing what special teams are. But like, <laughs> you know, those sorts of things. Beyond that, like, you know, I don't think that the capitalist exploitation of baseball players makes people who watch baseball bad people. Uh, yes, yeah. And so the, those sorts of things, I I think that ultimately the actual... Except except Yankees fans, right? Yankees fans are bad people. Except Yankees fans. The Yankees <laughs> do suck. I don't even like the Red Sox that much anymore, but I, I still... That, that one's deep in my bones. I will chant Yankees suck yeah. at the drop of a hat. But, um... <laughs> But no, like the um, the, the, I, I, to, to your point, I think that, again, the actual thing they're doing, the entertainment they're providing is unconditionally good. Like and they're just they both have problematic yeah. industries built around them because yeah. they can and you make more money if you do. And I think more and more, another thing we're seeing and this, we're, oh, we're getting so long and I don't want to like rant about industries for too long, but like (laughs) a thing that we're seeing more and more in both sports and record labels, which again, I think is reflective of broader uh, social trends is that the people in charge don't actually care about the thing they're making. Like it used to be, you know, and and this, I don't want to over-romanticize the past, right? But like. You know, it used to be, you know, the people who owned baseball teams mostly did it because they wanted to own a baseball team yeah, and thus presumably liked baseball. And so they would try to make sure their teams won because they liked when their teams won at the thing they liked. And that's way oversimplified. There's a lot of complications to that. I'm not going to get into it. But like that that sort of thing, there was a general assumption that if you owned a baseball team, you liked baseball. And same with record labels. Like the people who did that- You know, they were maybe former a people. They were former musicians. They were at least people who really loved music. Uh, and more and more, I think, that is becoming not the case. And you see people who yeah. are just career executives and CEOs or whatever who are purchasing a baseball team or whatever to because they can find a way to profit off of it. And, like, it's not... Like, this is sort of, I think, why... This is why a lot of people that I know fell off of the Red Sox, is because the guy who bought them, I forget his name. I like I don't follow baseball that closely, but like a lot of people, yeah. like the people I like know and like who do follow it much more closely, look at this guy and are like he does not like baseball and he does not care if this team wins. Like yeah. he is not interested in putting forth a good baseball team in an attempt to win games, and that makes it really hard to actually care about what the Red Sox do. Yeah. And that is incredibly true of a lot of record labels. Yeah. Yeah, the people in charge these days, which again, I I don't want to over romanticize the past. It's not like it used to be a great system where everyone just loved music and made like ran record labels for the love of the game. Like, yeah, (laughs) they were still looking for profit and running a business. But there was also an extent to which there was an understanding that the goal was to make good music. I think it's easy going down this route to be like, yeah. and now pop music is bad or and now pop music is boring. Yeah. And I don't think that's true either.
0: The big thing is that the the people doing the sport and the people making the music yeah. have always and will always remain the same, which is
1: like, like yeah. you know, incredible humans doing really cool stuff. Yeah. The people who become NFL quarterbacks really want to be really good at being yeah. quarterbacks. You
0: know, when the people at the top don't care about the music as it were or the sport like it it really what it does is is it it directly harms the people that care about the music you know because i think there's just as many people making good music as there ever has been there are way less people making a living off of making good music you know proportionally speaking
1: yeah and you know that's kind of a bummer to end uh this fun little exploration of an interesting set of analogies on uh, but but it's what we did. It's what it's, it's the choice we made. Bye.
0: <laughs> I was considering just ending it there. That would be a good bit.